0: all right we are back and we're picking up from the cliffhanger of when the greatest army probably in biblical times the assyrian super army is threatening to destroy jerusalem and um and now we're going to see what king hezekiah does so this is chapter 19 second kings verse 1 as soon as king hezekiah heard it he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the lord so at the end of the previous chapter, we saw that the king's officials were all humbling themselves. And now the king humbles himself before the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary and the senior priest, and covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rapshika whom this master, the king of Assyria, sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So these, these all these acts of humility, um, destroying the ro- royal robes, putting the ashes on their head and seeking out a prophet. And kings will sometimes seek out prophets. The question is, once the prophet speaks, what will the king do? It's it's humbles the king to say, hey, I need you to go seek the Lord for me. And then when God speaks, he can be proud and reject the word. That happens in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, near the end, the people ask Jeremiah to seek the Lord, and he seeks the Lord, and he comes back, and they reject what the Lord says. But these, so far, are just steps of humility. <clears throat> Seeking the Lord. Uh, verse 5. When the the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of King Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor, and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So this is a good word. But they need to persist in humility by choosing to not be afraid or to trust the Lord. With this, verse eight, the Rebshekah returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tirhaka, the king of Cush. Behold, he has set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers against again to Hezekiah, saying, "Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, the king of Judah: Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria." Behold. You have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed in Hera, razaf the people of Eden, who were in Telasar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim? the king of Hena, the king of Iva? Uh, all right, so they get this word from the Lord, and then. Pretty soon around this, the Rabshakeh, um retreats and they they're they get attacked from another king. So this is, I think, one of the things that happens fairly often where when a king is off to battle, and remember they're moving tens of thousands of people and they're moving by foot, so it's slow, it takes a long time. And one way that a middling king can try to establish himself um, would be to attack a king in a foreign land and defeat him and then of course if he's super successful he can go and attack the king's stronghold. So this isn't unusual for kings who are on military campaigns to suddenly find themselves being besieged by other kings. Um, It could also be this king was underneath some assyrian oppression and sees a weak spot here and wants to throw off the yoke so to speak and so the king sends another proud message saying not saying now like don't even trust in your god you know he's forgotten that whole god caught me to do this stuff now he's like don't even think your god can do it i've defeated all the gods of the nation so the king of assyria believes that he is a god amongst gods and a god defeater he's a god killer this is what he thinks about himself and we already know that isaiah thinks that the lord thinks that this king is quite proud and now the king's doubling down on his pride verse 14 hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it and hezekiah went up to the house of the lord and spread it before the lord so another act of humility to receive this letter and go to the king in his temple Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you are alone of all kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Snecherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their land, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods. But the work of man's hands would in stone, therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please from his hand, that all in the kingdoms of the earth shall know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So the king goes to the temple and has a theological prayer. Um, he asserts the oneness of God that God is the maker of the heavens and the earth, that other gods, yes, these defeated gods were defeated, but they were false gods, they are the work of man. And what man makes cannot be greater than man. And so these gods are only as strong as men and God easily defeats men. Um, And then he also appeals to God's name, his fame in the land. And God has wanted since the days of Abraham to reveal himself to the nations through um, his people And sometimes it's for blessing but when things are bad as well uh, the people of God can appeal to God to excuse me move in a mighty act of deliverance so that the nations will know that the Lord is not the same as their false gods and in this case the king of Assyria is in a state of pride and kind of like the king of Babylon in the book of Daniel needed to be humbled and made to eat eat grass because of his pride the king of Assyria now um, needs to be defeated by the lord so that the lord can become famous and the king of Assyria's pride can be put in its proper place which is down in the garbage verse 20 then isaiah the son of amos sent to hezekiah saying thus says the lord the god of israel your prayers to me about sennacherib the king of syria i have heard this is the word that the lord has spoken concerning him she despises you she scorns you the virgin daughter of zion she wags her head at you the daughter of jerusalem whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights against the Holy One of Israel? By your messengers you have mocked the Lord, and you have said, With my many chariots I have gone up against the heights and the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled as tall as cedars, as choicest cypresses. I entered as farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters. I have dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. That may have actually happened. Every once in a while a king will go mad and like, divert a river uh because he's just mad and in that way kind of like destroy the god of the river by diverting it and turning it into a, a little stream or something that has happened before i can't remember which king did it but there's a story about that i think the river what the the king's it may have been nebuchadnezzar but i think the king's favorite horses drowned in the river so he like commanded his army to make a whole bunch of streams out from the river and just like reduce the, the, the river down to a stream. He's mad. And so these kings, they think they're gods. And now this king who thinks he's a god killer has come up against the living god and the living god is not happy. Verse 25. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass that you should turn four to five cities into heaps of ruins while their inhabitants shorn of strength are dismayed and confounded and have become like plants of the field, like tender grass, like grass on the housetops blighted before its grown but I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. Because you've raged against me and your complacency has become into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back the way you came, by the way by which you came. Okay, so essentially God's saying to uh, Sennacherib, you have just bitten the hand that feeds you and now this is done. And um, where the king sees himself as a great man and a God killer, God's gonna put a hook in his nose and a bit in his mouth like he was a, a cow or a horse and he's going to treat him like a serving beast and send him back to Assyria. 29. And this shall be the sign for you. This year uh, eat what grows of itself and in the second year what springs of the same. Then in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downwards and bear fruit upwards. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. that The zeal of the Lord will do this. So this is how I understand this passage. We dealt with it quite a bit when I was in university in our Hebrew class. And I think what it's saying is like when a city is besieged like this, they usually have their harvest all messed up. There's foreigners eating it or they're trampling the, the fields where they would usually be sowing. And so it's saying like this year, you're just going to have to eat what grows wild. The next year as well. But in the third year, it's, you're going to have your economy, your agricultural economy restored by the zeal of the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow here or come before it with a shield or cast a siege mount against it. By the way he came, by the same he shall return. He shall not come into the city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city and to save it for my own sake, for the sake of my servant David. Okay, so again, the motivation of the Lord is his glory and his promise, his own character and his integrity. He's going to do this. He's going to defeat this king. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians, and when the people arose in the morning, behold, they were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed, and went home, and lived in Nineveh. Okay, so very, very likely the Lord used a disease against them. It could have been something more supernatural, but um, it's not uncommon for armies to have caught like dysentery and typhus and cholera, these kind of diseases when they're in camp. And um, so uh, just a wasting disease just went through the camp in a rapid place and decimated the people so that they didn't even have soldiers anymore they had to go home verse 37 and as he was worshiping in the house of nisrock his god adremelech and Sherezer, his son struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of ararat and Esser had on his son reigned in his place and that's the end of the chapter and when we were studying this in school the professor said you know this didn't all happen just within days this would have been a number of years afterwards that the king was assassinated but the memory brought up by the prophets here of the king's assassination is another sign of God's displeasure about the pride of the king. He didn't uh, go peacefully into his grave, surrounded by sons who honored him. He was assassinated by worthless sons, by treacherous sons. And this this is like part of um, God's judgment against Sennacherib. So this story is now over, this great deliverance of Jerusalem, um, this little city in the middle of nowhere that was surrounded by the world's great superpower of the time, um, defeated according to the word of the Lord. And again, establishing the truth, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And even in the midst of him leading and ruling over the world with this theme, um, we see that God's great motivation in the world is that his namesake would be on display, his power. He refuses to be treated like an idol, like a god amongst the small g gods of the world, but he will assert himself as the one and only true creator God and judge of the whole world and also for the sake of servant David, who he gave this promise to protect Jerusalem and to keep a son on its throne. And again, this book is going to end with the uh, Judah and Jerusalem going into exile, which is a great travesty. But we know how the story goes, that eventually a true son of David, Jesus, does um, enter into the throne of heaven to reign forever as the king of Israel and will rule over the earth in the new heavens and the new earth in fulfillment of God's promises. Amen.